This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome, everyone, back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I am joined on this beautiful Wednesday, minutes after Isaiah Patterson committed uh, by... The great Brandon Huffman, who uh, who played a who played a strong role in breaking that commitment news. Brandon, how do you instantaneously get quotes from a kid when he commits? Oh, I, I just type really fast, Dave. You know, I just That's say, just... "Hey, give me those and let me type them really fast." If you haven't read the interview on Bro, which wouldn't be a surprise because we just literally posted it five minutes ago from when we we're recording, go read it. You'll get some of the best quotes, very detailed, very thorough thoughts from Isaiah Patterson on why he committed to UCLA. And I mean, one of the, the most well-spoken kids that I've talked to in a long time, just in terms of his introspectiveness. And I mean, I was able to get that, those quotes from him 30 seconds after he committed and write the story in four minutes. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, just Brandon, you're, you're just an incredible typist. Um, but in seriousness, it's awesome uh, that we have people like Brandon who uh, – you know, the kids, their coaches, they trust that you're not going to uh, let things slip and uh, provide you stuff a little bit in advance because um, that makes, you know, the breaking of a commitment story that much more exciting when everyone can read the quotes immediately. A service, you uh, you really, it's really kind of exclusive to 24-7 sports. It's kind of cool. Yeah, market uh, owned. Market owned. Um, so this is a big commitment. Um, it's one of the two Yelm linebackers that UCLA uh, had on official visits about three weeks ago. Uh, Isaiah Patterson was the one who came away from that visit. I mean, his, his quotes after the official visit were also of the, wow, that's you don't often read a guy that excited. So I don't think it's a big surprise that he committed or that he's been committed for about a week already. Um, mm-hmm. But what's what's your take on this commitment and what kind of uh, what, what kind of expectations for fan, should fans have for uh, Patterson? OK, I'm going to first temper by saying if people are expecting him to be Miles Jack, he's not. You know, the last great player that UCLA got from the state of Washington was Miles Jack. Very different type of players. Isaiah Patterson is not going to play running back. Now, Braden Platt, his teammate, might be closer to Miles Jack. But 
from an Isaiah Patterson viewpoint, what he's going to bring is he's going to bring some positional versatility. This is a guy who played defensive line early in his career when he was in Vancouver, made the move to Yelm, played more of a stand-up edge role, but he could play inside linebacker. He's going to have options to play, you know, a couple different spots. He's already got size. This isn't a guy you're going to need to get bigger or, you know, he might need to get stronger, but he's already almost getting to near, you know, 55 feet in a shot put. So he's got strength. He's going to enroll early. It's just more a matter of him continuing to develop as a player and making that transition fully from being a defensive lineman to playing linebacker. Um, I think he's a, you know, high ceiling type of guy. For UCLA, I know there was one guy on the on the board who said he had no other Power Five offers, which he did. He had USC, I'm sorry, Oregon and Washington State. And then, even though this same poster kept posting, well, he's top 800, then asked, is he top 300? The freaking website answered that question for you, there, fella. But is he, you know, an elite player? Probably not. But if you look at in terms of an elite recruit, but if you look at the three schools that were the most active for him, they're all very defensive-centric head coaches. Dan Lanning at Oregon, Andy Abalos at Boise State and Jake Dickert at Washington State. So I think that kind of you know speaks to it too. When he's overshadowed by a teammate, when he's playing only half a game as a junior because they were blowing everybody out, I think this kid is a very high ceiling player and is going to be really good in college. And, you know, is the kind of guy you add to a UCLA program where they've been kind of portal heavy. He may need a year of development just because he spent more time on the defensive line early on his career, but uh, this is this is the kind of player caliber player you want, and these are the kind of players that a lot of good programs are built on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we've been kind of banging the drum for a while, but continuing to add developmental pieces, um, especially on defense, um, where you don't have to reload with starters every single year because some guy has developed, you know, over multiple seasons to be a starter level guy. Uh, that's what you need. Um, I think for to be a sustainable program, obviously the model is consistently changing because the transfer portal is still so new, but that, that just feels true. It has the feel of truth that you're going to need to develop within your program um, with some frequency, because I mean, just look at this past uh, cycle was, I would say harder than the previous cycle to get starter level guys. Um, I think one that they, absolutely nailed and and was awesome they could get was uh j michael sturdivant but um the days of like kind of easily landing a zach charbonnet uh in the transfer portal are probably behind ucla um and so it it becomes more of a war of nil more of a war of all that kind of stuff so landing developmental guys who you know I, i i could be speaking out of turn i don't think isaiah patterson is an nil deal um, I think it has much more to do with, oh, I can fit into that program and develop. And eventually, you know, I like Ken Norton Jr. and eventually develop into a starter level player. And that's still going to be the lifeblood of a program like UCLA, where NIL is not going to be, you know, UCLA is not going to be a top five NIL program. Um, no. So landing those types of guys and, and turning them into players over a period of time is uh, probably still the ideal way to go in large part for recruiting classes. I, I think the the other thing, too, is, like, again, you know, when you can get a player who is willing to come in and, and be developed, yeah, he, he's enrolling early because he wants to play early, but he's also not a guy that's coming in expecting to play right away. Those are the guys that usually stay the course a little longer. They're the guys that you're not having to re-recruit at the end of December to or at the end of November when the season's over, trying to keep them from going into the portal. This is a guy, we granted, it's an apples and oranges comparison. Um, especially with him missing all the spring, but like a Luke Duncan, you know, you're 
he's not going to scare off Dante Moore, but also Luke Duncan understands he's probably going to need a couple years. When you get an Isaiah Patterson, he's not going to come in with the expectation he's starting day one. Right. He's coming in with the understanding, I might need a year or two before I'm really fully playing at the, at the level and the amount I want to play, but you're also not having to spend the entire offseason trying to keep him from leaving. Right, exactly. Um, so this is the latest commitment for UCLA. They've had, I would say, a pretty good um, – uh, May, a little bit of end of April, too. Uh, they've gotten commitments in the last, uh, well, it's about a month now, from Mark Schroeder, the offensive tackle uh, from Mission Viejo, and then Marquise Thorpe-Taylor was just a few days ago, uh, the offensive tackle also from the state of Washington. Can you say pipeline, baby? Um, and now uh, Patterson. Um, so, I, I don't know. what's Because I'm remembering last year um, when it suddenly looked like UCLA was recruiting a lot better in the high school ranks for like, it seemed like three weeks in May and maybe the mm-hmm. beginning of June. And then it more or less dropped off a cliff until basically the end of the high school season. Um, is this more the same or are you noticing, I mean, we've had a, there've been a ton of official visits that we've been reporting on uh, throughout all of May. There'll be another big weekend coming up this weekend. Um, do you think there's a shift a little bit with some of the new assistants in place uh, that they're, I don't know, approaching high school recruiting a little bit more aggressively, or is this sort of the same situation as last year where they're trying to get some commitments done before the summer and then it's going to be this big lull period? Well, I, I know we're going to make a move from talking a linebacker to the offensive line, but I think, you know, you just look at the offensive line recruiting and what a stark contrast to a year ago when I think they brought in seven offensive linemen to visit in the month of May and didn't land any of them. And the only offensive lineman they ended up getting a commitment from and then signing was Tabaki Tuyakovaladu. Um, out of Fontana. Wow, that was that was beautiful. Hey, I'm on the Can we all just take selection. a second? Can we all just take a the, second and just um, marvel at that pronunciation right there? I'm on the Polynesian Bowl Selection Committee for a reason, Dave, and it's because of my enunciation abilities, mostly, um, but also because I'm really good at practicing names when I'm talking about them. In in the case of Tuvaki, or Tuvaki, no, I just butchered. <laughs> of course, I did. Um, I get a little excited and think I'm that, and then I get humbled. Um, but if you look at their offensive line recruiting a year ago, you know, they got one commitment late and it wasn't until a late offer, but they were trying. They just weren't closing. Somebody asked the question on the board the other day, is there is there a difference in strategy compared to a year ago? I don't know that there's a difference in strategy. But remember, last year you were undergoing the transition from Drevno being an analyst in that fall to Justin Fry leaving what in January after the ball game or after the Volga, they didn't play, but he left in January. And with recruiting calendars shifting earlier and earlier, by the time Drevna was making these offers, yeah, he got these guys to visit, but other schools kind of had relationships built. Well, now he's able to offer Joshua Glanz last summer, and then they get the commitment from him in January. Yeah, the Schroeder commitment you know, came pretty quickly. The recruitment maybe took a little longer than people on Bro were, were hoping it would be, but they ultimately got it. But then the Marquis Thorpe-Taylor one, that was a late – offer kind of like shoulder but the impact of him being able to go by that school in january and to go see marquise thorpe taylor back in january and to start building that relationship but then make the offer uh you know be worthwhile and, and be a little something and then get him in the visit i think the difference in strategy is now they're closing on those guys and when you're five commitments three of those are offensive linemen you're uh, the the five visitors or the five commitments you know, three have taken an official visit 
uh, and then committed shortly after. Although I maybe Schroeder visited after he he committed, but you know, in the case of Thorpe Taylor and Patterson, you got guys to commit within weeks of their visits. Last year, when they did the May visits, a lot of these guys had June visits scheduled, and then they still took the June visits. In the case of Marquise Thorpe Taylor, he was still planning to take visits. Patterson was planning to take visits. They canceled them, so they've done a better job of sealing the deal on the visits and not letting those guys take those ensuing visits that may cause some you know, commu- uh, confusion and disinterest or misinformation from the schools that they visit. So I think there's just a better close rate now happening rather than, hey, come visit us, go take your other visits, then decide. It's, hey, come take your visit. We're going to sell you on this place. So you're not going to want to come anywhere else and visit anywhere else. Oh, well, whatever it is, it's a, definitely a, an improvement, um, significantly so. And, I mean, you touched on it right now, but landing uh, three guys who are currently ranked as offensive tackles, um, you know, from a from a depth perspective, as Brandon uh, shakes himself a martini, um, from a depth perspective. It's a, a pedia light, but I'm going to pretend it's a martini. <laughs> um, it sounded like ice in, like, a drink shaker. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, from a depth perspective, obviously we've, we've been hammering it, uh, all spring UCLA needs, 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 needs prep offensive linemen that they can develop into players because frankly, a lot of the guys in the program right now are not necessarily developing the best. So you gotta, you gotta improve your numbers. So your hit rate can start to apply, um, adding three guys with, tackle potential even if they are not necessarily going to play that in college you know Thorpe Taylor might end up at guard um be a pretty athletic guard uh but adding three guys with that kind of versatility is is huge uh for the uh the future of the program to kind of keep those pipelines flowing and it's what we just talked about with linebacker with Isaiah Patterson but um landing guys you can develop especially on the offensive line where we've all seen how difficult it is to land, you know, starter level guys that they tend to be highly recruited. They tend to be, you know, tends to be a pretty picked over position group. Um, you got to develop from within at least probably half your starters, you know, two or three of your starters every year have to be developed from within. Well, what's crazy is that may, they may not be done with offensive linemen either. They're doing really well with Nathan Roy, who obviously his brother Benjamin's on the team right now. Um, having himself, you know, had himself a good spring, could potentially be, you know, in the rotation this year. Obviously, you got a Duke Clements who's there for, I think Duke Clements came in in the same class as Jonathan Ogden and Mike <laughs> Flanagan. Um, no, we, we, we all love you, Duke. Uh, but, you know, he's just biding his time. But you've got an opportunity at Nathan Roy. You've got a really good opportunity at Justin Talanu'u. You know, probably, I would say, at worst, top two for both of those guys. Justin's a tackle. Nathan Roy probably it, it plays tackle, but moves inside with Thorpe Taylor. You know, he is a tackle, but obviously he understands that he may slide inside to play guard. You've got Schroeder and Glantz who have tackle length, but you know, what a, what a stark contrast with, with the exception of the 2020 class and I'm sorry, the 2021 class, uh, Thomas Cole, Garrett DiGiorgio. I think that was the Benjamin Roy class. You know, UCLA hasn't had really good offensive line classes in the last five years, they've had small offensive line classes. They, they haven't had, yeah, there was the year they got Sean Ryan, which was obviously big. There was the year they got Alec Anderson late, which was big, but they haven't had good size classes. Really. If you want to get down to it, since Adrian Clem was the offensive line coach, and now they potentially could land five key targets out of nine or 10 
Um, okay, remember what I said earlier, I misstated the name of, of, a, of a commitment. My son just pointed out to me that I pointed, I spelled it wrong on Instagram. <laughs> I'm glad that I have my son. It's uh, uh, children Sorry, are humbling. I, they, they, they provide I humbling moments. I can do it. I can fix it on Instagram where, you know, I don't have to pay for a blue check mark to do so. Okay, we're good. Thanks, Kate. Appreciate that. Um, but you, you look at this offensive line class and know that, you know, it, it still might not be done and they could end up with five offensive linemen. And you're then you're not forced to go rely on a Raekwon O'Neal or a Spencer Holstege or um, what's our what's our brother in Christ coming in from uh, <laughs> whatever, whatever school. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and, he's coming uh, from the fight and, Riot, Jake, Jake, and Jake Wiley from Colorado and Jake Wiley from Colorado. You, you're not having to always rely on the portal. You know, if you look at the two of the better offensive lines in the Pac-12 last year, they were Oregon and Washington. And both of those schools, you know, the majority of their offensive linemen were players that developed in that program. And granted, a lot of those guys had six years, you know, in the case of Henry Banavalu and Jackson Kirkland. But there is still tremendous value in developing your own offensive linemen rather than going into the portal. Oregon State probably has the best offensive line in the Pac-12, and it's heavy involved with, with high school recruiting and then developing them. You know, speaking of Marquise Thor-Taylor, Talies Fuongo is one of the best offensive linemen in the Pac-12 from Oregon State out of Mount Tahoma High School, and that was the guy that when Jim Mahalchik brought him in, it was with the understanding that, like, hey, we want you to play early, but we don't need you to play early, so get yourself ready. And now you still can bring these guys in with some – more experienced guys ahead of them, but get those guys into the weight program, get them developed so that in 2025, 2026, they can play and you're not having to go portal diving. Yeah, no. And <laughs> I, I love to call it portal diving. That's, that's, it's a really nice visual um, because it's a, you know, it's a play on dumpster diving, uh, which I love. Uh, how, how, this is just kind of a curiosity. How much more difficult does your job get with schools prioritizing the transfer portal so much? Like, because your bread and butter is high school recruiting, right? Yes. It, it's the, it's not so much the schools. It's just the, the website, the team sites that are, you know, kind of like, hey, do you have any contact information for this guy that you covered three years ago? And, you know, can you get in touch with him? Because, you know, he's going to probably transfer. So it's like, the old days, we used to celebrate the day after signing day as National Unfollow on Twitter Day. You could unfollow those guys. You washed your hands clean of them. You never had to worry about them again. Now you're like, I'm going to keep this guy followed for a couple of years because he might go into the portal. And you're, you're now finding that you have to maintain those communication lines with the kid because you might end up having to cover his second recruitment or in the case of JT Daniels, his fourth recruitment. So <laughs> it, it does get difficult because, you, you know, you, you have the relationship these kids and you want to you know write about them a lot of them will reach out to you hey i'm in the portal you know can you write a story or can you help me get found and it's like bro you couldn't play on an 0 and 12 team for the last four years i'm sure that you know kirby smart sitting there by the phone waiting for you to call him um <laughs> it, so it, it's definitely added another layer another dimension to it um but it also you get to a point where there's some schools such as ucla where they're so heavy portal recruiting heavy that at times you're kind of like, all right, there's not a lot of high school recruiting action coming, but come November and December, you guys are going to make it busy. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, you know, you do have uh, probably a little bit more cyclical with certain schools where it's like, okay, I can, you know, dial it back here and pay attention a little bit more over here for now. Um, 
I, I was curious about a couple guys. I mean, obviously UCLA has got a few new coaches, uh, or a couple new coaches. Um, but Cody Whitfield has already, you know, his name's popping up in a lot of recruiting stories. Um, you know, he offered the JC uh, DB, um, and I'm just wondering what's your sense of him so far as a recruiter? Were you how familiar were you with him when he was at what was it Sac State? Um, mm-hmm. And you know. It, what kind of potential do you think he has as a recruiter? Because watching him talk, like just watching him do like one of the interviews, I'm like, that guy's, that guy's got personality out the wazoo. Uh, but I'm just kind of wondering how that plays on the trail. Yeah. You know, this is one of the, the fun parts of the job. You know, Greg Biggins and I have had this conversation numerous times where one of the, the unique things about being in this industry, as long as he and I have, you know, Greg's been doing it for a hundred years. I think he actually covered Jonathan Ogden's recruitment. I, I'm just kidding, Greg. But like, he's now covering second generation recruits. But we both have been doing this 20 plus years where we're now covering a lot of guys, or a lot of these guys that are coaching are guys that we covered in this job. So I remember talking to Cody when he was in high school and, you know, he was a commitment to Stanford. UCLA had offered him, you know, at the time uh, when he was at Loyola High School, you know, his teammate at, at Loyola was a young man named Jerry Neuheisel who was a quarterback and, you know, he was two classes behind Anthony Barr. And if you remember John Young, the tight end from Loyola, there was uh-huh. a time where, you know, UCLA was really kind of getting whoever they wanted at Loyola high school. And Cody got away from, from Rick Neuheisel. He committed to Stanford. And at that point, David Shaw had just taken over for, for Jim Harbaugh, but the ace in the hole that Stanford always had was that his dad, Bob, was a Stanford alum, was an All-American, a first-round draft pick. So, you know, Cody Winfield almost ended up being a Bruin in high school. Instead, he ends up being one – I'm sorry, ended up being a Bruin in college. He ends up being one postgraduate. He's a Los Angeles guy. He's a Southern California native. His dad played in Southern California. He played in Southern California. So he's got, you know, an affinity for UCLA, even if he kept ending up on SportsCenter just embarrassing some former – I'm sorry. Too soon? Oh, man. That was brutal. I, I, I hate I hate to go the uh, you know the, the Chris Tucker route and bring it up old ish, but you know I had to. So now you know it's like Ken Norton for all the years he deemed his alma mater recruiting against him. Now for all the times that Cody Whitfield put UCLA in Sports Center, he's now putting UCLA in the lexicon of a lot of these recruits. And uh, again, this is a guy that you may not necessarily see the the fruits of his labor come to fruition in the initial 2024 class because of when he was hired. And again, like I said earlier, the recruiting calendar expediting but it's been fascinating talking with some of the dbs who have been offered by him it's like yeah you know we really like ucla and a big reason for that is cody whitfield but these other coaches have been recruiting me for two years so you know they've got a little bit of an advantage but he's closing the gap and i think you'll see the 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 fruits of it maybe happen in 23 but in the 24 class but i think you'll really start to see it in the future and when he was at sac state i remember talking to him two summers ago uh, up at Sac State camp. And at that time, he was just, I don't even know if he was a GA at UCLA or if he was just doing like a QC role, but he was up there with the Darius Pickett. And, you know, the next year he's at the Sac State camp as a Sac State coach. So, you know, he didn't have to do the model of going to a D3 school or a D2 school. He went to one of the best FCS programs in the country and recruited. And then after a year there, gets hired at a Power 5 school. So I think that kind of shows the the arc that he's on as a coach and, you know, now that he's in Los Angeles and I don't think Stanford's going to be a threat to hire him back because they just hired a brand new staff there. And I think with, you know, the certainty with UCLA in the Big Ten, rather the uncertainty with Stanford in the Pac-12, you know, certainly gives him reason to stay. And I think UCLA is going to benefit from him in the long run. 
You know what the funniest thing is, Brandon? You're such a clever guy. Because I just spent so long looking up who was the DB. Because I remember Francis Owusu caught the ball and Jaleel would do it, right? But I was like, mm-hmm. who was the DB that, that uh, Cody Whitfield caught the ball on? And you had said already, and I finally put it together when I watched him do it while you were talking, that you said, I don't want to bring up old Ish. <laughs> and it was on Ish Adams. And it's just full circle, buddy. You, you've you got just the brain. You've got a marvelous brain. Thank you. I was also trying to be, what's the word, um, censoring myself, because I don't know if uh, the FTC is going to hurt me for FTC. <laughs> what is, what's the organization that the monetary? I didn't FCC. Go, FCC. I didn't want to go like full barstool and start using expletives, but I also knew I could play, have a little play on words. Yeah, no, that was great. Uh, you, it, your, your brain moves at a speed that uh, other people can only gawk at. That was the Thursday night game where I think Christian McCaffrey had like seven thousand yards against UCLA, right? Yeah, I think it was. Um, yeah, okay. Um, and then I guess the other one to really kind of uh, wonder about is uh, Danton Lynn. If you've heard anything really at this point, because let's say this about Danton Lynn, he came in at the end of February. Mm-hmm. Probably had to get more or less immediately into evaluating the team and getting practice prep going and then doing spring ball. But have you heard about him at all on the trail at this point? Because uh, he's coming over from the NFL where uh, he was for, I don't know, the better part of eight, nine years. So he's never really had to do this before. Um, are you hearing anything about his uh, acumen as a recruiter? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, talking to a couple of the visitors that, that have gone to UCLA in the last couple of weeks, you know, especially with Isaiah Patterson, Braden Platt, um, you know, they're linebackers. So, of course, they're, you know, they're talking about how Ken Norton Jr. has come to their school a couple of times, how he's been the one recruiting. But then both kind of cited just getting to sit down and talk with Dan Lynn and, and getting to, you know, spend some time with him. And I, I think when you've got a defensive coordinator you don't necessarily, and I've long felt this theory, or not a theory, this philosophy, and I think it's why you're seeing a bigger push by college coaches to let recruiting staffers go on the road and keep some of their position coaches or coordinators from having to recruit. You really want your coordinators to be, if they're true coordinators, and especially in a system at UCLA where it's an offensive head coach and he's calling the plays, you kind of want your defense coordinator to just be worried about the X's and O's. And yeah, if he's a good recruiter, great, but his value is certainly going to be on Saturdays in the fall. So you want him to be able to, to really manage and game plan and, you know, be using the spring to implement his defense. You use a Ken Norton junior to be the position coach and to be the recruiter, but then you're still using your coordinator on those visits to do the sit downs of the chalk talk. And like, this is what we're going to run. This is what our scheme is. This is how we envision you doing it. And both Patterson and Platt cited just the conversations with Dan Lane and just how sharp he is and how smart he is and how they really like him. And I think the fact that he's a younger guy certainly makes him a little more relatable too. And so you, you kind of got a, a nice mixture with the position coaches and a, and a Brian Norwood being an older guy, uh, Ken Norton, who's had the career as a coach and as a player that he's a more seasoned guy. And, you know, even on the, on the defensive line, you, you've got a little bit more seasoning with Nakaka Malloy, who's been a co-DC, guys that have been around the game. But then Lynn can kind of be like, hey, I'm the head MF or in charge of this defense. He's not going to, you know, kind of walk around like that. But he's the guy that's breaking down what they're going to do defensively for these guys. But yet he's kind of young and these guys can kind of relate. So they, they get the, the the combination of the two. And there's been some good feedback. And, you know, talking to some of the high school coaches, I was on the road all last week. 
and you know talking to some of the high school coaches just that that went down to UCLA spring practice they they noticed you know just how keen he is and how smart he is and very relatable so i think once he really gets turned loose come this fall and maybe in November, December, January, you're really going to see what, what he can bring to the table. Because like you mentioned, he's never recruited before. He's been a NFL coach. But the fact that he's smart, that he's running this defense at the young age, he's come from the NFL and at an NFL team that's had great success defensively, he's kind of that, that, that cool closer that a lot of these kids are really digging. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. It's so funny that you're talking about this guy, and you're like, yeah, you know, he's not too old. You know, he can relate to these guys. And I'm like, this dude started college after I graduated. Like, he started mm-hmm. college, like, about two weeks after I graduated. I mean, what are we doing? Like what are we doing that we're not making uh, like one point five million dollars? I don't know what he's making million dollars. I don't know. I haven't looked at his salary stuff. But he's what are we doing shit. that we're not making that coaching uh, defense at the college level? I, you know, and I've, I've been telling my son, who's a junior in high school, like, you know what? He, he wants to pursue a career in player personnel. I'm like, dude, you need to pursue, pursue a career in coaching because if you get fired you get more financial security for life. I want to raise my son to be a fired college head football coach. Yeah. Because imagine you it's the dream. To do your job, but now you're going to get paid 10 million to stop doing your job. I want to, I, I would false. like to, I would like to in the future be a terrible uh, power five head coach. Yes. I, I mean, you could tell me all the things that you're, you can message board geniuses. You could target me all you want. You could say all those negative things about me for $10 million. I'll, I'll, I'll take the strap. Yeah, no. He's paid millions of dollars for people to still call him an idiot, but you know what he's calling himself at the end of the day? You can call him an idiot. He calls himself a millionaire. Well, like, that's the thing is like, look, being a CEO of a major Fortune 500 company, you do get the same kind of, you know, umbrella when you get fired, but at the expense of more than likely selling your soul away. Mm -hmm. College coaches don't have to do that. You basically are a gym teacher and you might have to yell at kids some of the time, but otherwise, just be bad at your job. You're fine. And and you're going to make. You know, when you get fired after three years, you're going to make an additional like eight to ten million dollars. It's great. It's a great gig. That's that is the dream. If you can do it, what, what they say, what's the phrase? It's nice work if you can get it. It's even better if it's nice work if you stop having to get it. Yeah, no, it's nice work if you never have to do it again. Yeah, I mean, that's, no, that's the we've goal. got the we've got the dream lined up. Um, let's just go back in time really quick and you know develop some actual football acumen. Okay, uh, but you don't um, have to need it. I'll, We've seen some on. of these clowns coach. Also, not a requirement anymore. <laughs> I mean, and that's one of the fascinating things about covering recruiting is there's a lot of coaches that I know that get hired strictly for the Jimmys and Joes and certainly as hell not for the X's and O's. And then they just hang around long enough and they get promoted to a coordinator role and then they're demoted from the coordinator role pretty quickly afterwards. It's like, 
look, my brother, look, my sister, look, my, my cousin, my nephew, um, just go get us guys. Let somebody else coach those guys. We're not going to have you coach those guys anymore. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's so beautiful. Um, all right. Is there anything else with football recruiting you want to talk, Sean? I want to move over to basketball recruiting for a bit. Um, I mean, the only other thing is, if you really want to, we could just touch on UCLA's big Beehive State weekend. And yeah, let's touch on the official, official visitors. Let's talk yeah. about. It. So they are bringing in some elite talent this weekend. They have a top ten player in the country coming that they aren't going to get probably um, <laughs> in Elijah Rushing, but. When was the last time, with the exception of Dante Moore, that UCLA had a top 10 player come visit in the spring and, you know, use one of his precious official visits on? Well, this weekend, Elijah Rushing's in. Um, a, a defensive lineman from Arizona, they probably have a much more realistic chance in. Keona Wilhite, uh, he'll be in for a visit. You've got St. John Bosco running back Cameron Jones coming in, who I felt like UCLA has been the leader for for quite some time. At this point, it's the only official visit he's got scheduled. Uh, certainly UCLA's had success at Bosco in, pre- in previous classes. Um, Quasi Gilmer, a player that I'm a big fan of out of Sierra Canyon High School, uh, formerly at Chaminade, a receiver, four-star receiver. He'll be visiting. And then they've got four guys or three guys from the state of Utah, Blake Tabarachi, whose brother is at USC. They got Davis Andrews, a top five safety from the state, or top five player who plays safety from Utah. And then Falatau Satoala. Uh, will be in town. Blair Angulo is going to be all over those. He Nobody covers the state of Utah like Blair. Uh, and then another local kid, and Peyton Waters, who was one of the more recent offerees from UCLA, plays at Birmingham High School, same high school that produced Dennis Keyes, who's now coaching at Campbell Hall. Uh, Peyton Waters has a five official visits. This will be official visit number two. Um, so they're, they're getting a nice mixture where they're getting a lot of defensive guys that are coming in with Rushing and Davis, with Tabarachi and Andrews and Saltaalu. Uh, but then you've got a key running back target in Cameron Jones, a key running, a receiver target in Quasi Gilmer, um, and then Waters, who's being recruited as an athlete, can play on either side of the ball. Um, you know, May has been a good month for UCLA hosting visits, and they're hoping that this last weekend will be one of their best ones yet because a lot of key targets coming in. All right, give me this, Brandon. Uh, who among these, and it doesn't mean that one is certain to, but who among these guys coming in this weekend would be most likely to pop next week after their visit? Cameron Jones. I would say, you know, unless Colorado can get a visit scheduled with him, he took it unofficial in April, he wants to take an official, but unless Colorado sets that official visit, I would anticipate that Cameron Jones is the most likely of this group to commit. All right, so Elijah Rushing, that situation is interesting because uh, Blair posted on the board something to the effect of, you know, UCLA was very much on the outside looking in here, um, wasn't, like, you know, barely making the cut, and now they're getting the first official visit. What do you, What's your sense of what the deal is here? Like, it, it, do they have a real chance? Was this some last-minute, you know, effort from uh, Malloy? What was it? Yeah, I think it's a lot, you know, uh, Akaika Malloy really having – here's one thing that that people need to understand when guys are coming from other programs, the players that you got to that previous program, they speak highly of you. So while Akaka Malloy might no longer be at Washington, Zion Tupatola Fatui, Braylon Trice, you know, obviously Latu Latu, who he recruited to Washington and then to UCLA. And you look at some of the pass rushers that he's had at Washington and now at UCLA that he recruited, there's been a correlation with their success and having played under Kaika. So if you're a guy like Elijah Russian, wh- why wouldn't you, you know, go take a visit for a guy who's developing 
a player from the state of Arizona and Braylon Trice, who's showing up in a number of mock drafts as a top 15 pick out of Arizona, who's now flourishing at Washington and Akaika laid the groundwork for, you know, with, with Keona Wilhite, who I think UCLA has a really good chance at, a, a far better chance at uh, Keona Wilhite than they do probably Elijah Rushing, but it's his teammate at South Point Catholic. So that certainly doesn't hurt either where, you know, hey, my guy's going to go take a visit. I'll go take a visit with him. We're teammates. Maybe we're not going to be teammates in college, but let's, let's get a visit in together at a school that we're both being recruited by and let that be with a coach who's done a really good job of developing some of these guys. So I, I think it's a little bit of a tip of the cap to, you know, his teammate and a tip of the cap to Ikaika Malloy. And who knows? Maybe UCLA can pull a rabbit out of their hat and, and get him. But I think just getting the visit, considering where UCLA was at a number of years ago and they couldn't even get top end guys to take a visit. This certainly is, is a nice change. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on now to basketball. Um, so UCLA continues uh, to uh, hit the international waters uh, for not waters. They're not in the water. Slovenia's uh, they're not quite landlocked, but you know, Northern Balkans, I guess you'd call it. Uh, Jan Vide, uh, Slovenian guard um, that plays for the Real Madrid, uh, I think U20, U18 team, whatever. Doesn't matter. Uh, he committed to UCLA this week. Um, this is the the second um, public commitment of the international uh, quartet. Uh, the first was Elan Fibloy uh, from France. Uh, a little bit more of a wing. Vide is a little bit more of a guard. Uh, and then the expectation is that Adai Mara, at some point here, relatively soon, will be publicly committing to UCLA. And then there is still a fourth, an unnamed fourth, uh, which is um, uh, potentially over the next month or so. So um, Vide uh, committed publicly. Um, he's a 6'5", 6'6"-ish guard. Um, if you've watched any of his video, uh, the number one thing that jumped out to me, and I'd love to hear what jumped out to you if you watched any of his stuff, Brandon, is uh, he just drives relentlessly, shoots mm -hmm. a ton of floaters, um, makes a shocking amount of them, uh, seems to have a whole big bag of tricks uh, off the bounce. Um, and then from what I saw, uh, really needs to work on his outside shot, and that's probably going to be his big limiting factor early on in his basketball career. But there's a lot of upside with him just because he is um, really aggressive um, and really has just kind of natural scoring ability with a ton of different moves and array of different ways of uh, putting the ball in the basket. Um, I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I think you know, there's some like wow factor to his game where he can jump, or he, can, he can slash, he can shoot. Um, you know, those floaters, he's got the ability to, you know, he's a good passer. Um, I think it's going to be really fun to watch. I mean, he's just kind of got a little ish. Again, I'm using that phrase a lot. He's got a little ish in too, like a little swag. Um, yep. I've, I've heard people say that he's the best player to come from Slovenia since Luka Doncic. Um, okay, maybe that person was Greg Biggins, but I've heard people <laughs> say it. It doesn't matter who said it. It's just that some people said it. And I've heard that there's other people that said V-Day is better than Victor. Okay, that might have been Greg Biggins also. But the, the point being that, like, you know, watching his film, this isn't a guy that you're kind of scratching your head, like, who is this guy? Why did they just basically get, you know, the college version of Slavman Vidinko, uh, for you 
early or early 2000s <laughs> Laker fans. This is the guy that I think is going to be pretty fun to watch. And, you know, it's it's nice to see that UCLA isn't just losing everybody. They're actually getting some players to come in to play basketball for them next year. Yeah, isn't that great? Um, yeah, no, and if everyone doesn't know, Greg Biggins is the biggest UCLA hoops recruiting aficionado in in maybe the, the century. Uh, just uh, locked in 100% of the time. Uh, Jan Vide, um, he's, uh, yeah, he's going to be fun. Um, I would expect him to probably play some backup point guard, um, in his first year. He's not, he's not a traditional point guard, not at this stage, uh, maybe not ever. He's going to be like kind of a lead guard, you know, kind of your lead scoring guard, which is, you know, pretty common now at the NBA level. Um, but I think that's, that's more or less what he is. Um, and so when he's, if he comes in and is backing up Dylan Andrews, when he's in, you can expect him to be, you know, uh, calling his own number a fair amount. Um, and that's if you've watched enough of his games, it's improving. Um, shot selection uh, was an issue early on in his career, um, because when you can score like that, it's hard to um, facilitate as easily and as well. But if there's one thing that you can be supremely confident that Mick Cronin will iron out in a player. It's uh, the idea of good shot, bad shot. Um, and I would expect whatever, whatever remains of, you know, I got to throw the world on my shoulders will be ironed out of V day pretty quickly um, at UCLA. Um, and uh, yeah, but I mean, overall um, really nice get. Uh, I think you can expect him to compete to start. I don't know if he will start from the jump. It kind of depends on the form of the rest of the roster. If they get a, a, a starting quality big wing, um, then it's going to be harder and harder to play Mara and Bona together. Um, and it might be harder to do that no matter what. You know, Playing two bigs is always something you should be a little bit skeptical of in the, uh, in the college level these days. Um, but if that ends up happening, um, you've got one big at the five, and then you've got some sort of uh, starting quality three, four, uh, and then Fabloy, Vide, um, Stefanovic, uh, all those guys could factor into the uh, wing spots, the off guard spot. And so it'll be interesting. I do expect him to play considerably in year one. I think his scoring potential is going to be really enticing for the coaching staff. Um, and then the question is, as it is with all these international guys, is um, is he going to be good enough from the jump to go pro after a year? Because you don't you sort of know, but you don't really know because uh, international competition can be hit and miss sometimes um, and evaluating how they translate to uh, the American game uh, from, you know, FIBA stuff can be a, a it can be an adjustment period. So. And Vide has some obvious holes in his game that still need to be worked out. You know, he's not a great uh, three-point shooter. Um, he probably still needs to develop if he's going to be a true lead guard at the pro level um, from a distribution standpoint, from a uh, playmaking standpoint. So I think there's reason enough to think that he's probably sticking around for more than a year or two, especially considering he may not even start this year. And I think that's, you know, nice because when UCLA keeps losing as many people as they do from this <laughs> roster, you kind of want a little bit of continuity and consistency. Maybe maybe yeah. Mick does it. Maybe he, he's a big fan of the one and none. But I would think that he would like to, you know, <laughs> obviously we, we know football and basketball recruiting are so different because, you know, you do have the portal in football and guys get frustrated and leave. But with the NBA, 
that's always something that that's very real for some of these guys. So if you can get a guy to stick around for a couple of years, you will absolutely take him. Yeah, I mean, and if you're looking at the roster for next year, so right now, Sebastian Mack, Devin Williams, Brandon Williams, Alain Fabloy, uh, Jan Vide, and then Lazar Stefanovic are the known quantities. Uh, we're anticipating a Daimara, so that's seven newcomers. And then if the fourth uh, international pops, then that's eight newcoming players into a roster uh, that already was losing a ton of starters. So the continuity is going to be completely thrown out the window for next year. Like there's yeah. going to be, you know, Dylan Andrews who played uh, a role this year, but not a huge one is going to be one of the main returners. Uh, Kenny Nuba, who was, you know, backup center, um, Will McClendon, and then potentially obviously a Dembona, Jalen Clark. Uh, it's so much is going to depend on how these guys gel together, because like you said, they've just, They've lost a ton of the roster, and um, it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, how it all comes together and how quickly. You know, because I think if you look at the, what they're bringing in and all this kind of stuff, yeah, this, this should be a very talented roster. It's just going to be very young, and they're going to have mm-hmm. to go through a big, big, steep learning curve. It could look not very good in November. Um, and mm-hmm. then the question is, by end of February, early March, how's it looking? Um, and... McCrone's track record at this point is it'll probably look pretty good. But yeah, I mean, uh, it could be a lot like year one where, you know, there weren't the expectations in year one because there was some youth. There was some, you know, is Tiger Campbell going to be the player they hoped he would coming off an injury? Is Jaime Hawkins going to be able to play at this level? And there was, you know, there was some youth. Yeah, you had Chris Smith back and you had some of the other guys, but the expectations were low. And then when they surged past it, unfortunately, COVID knocked it out. But then the next year, it was like they crumbled under some of the expectations early on before rallying and make it to the final four. But it's almost like when there's kind of a Utah football feel to Mick Cronin's program, where like when they're least expected to, to do something, that's when they're the most dangerous. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I think that that uh, level of consistency is what you want to see. And, and this, this year is going to be that one big test. If he can produce a program, uh, produce a team this year that is, you know, competing, competing really, really well in the Pac-12, especially by January, February, March, and is, um, you know, in contention for a decent enough seed in the NCAA tournament. I don't know if it's going to be top four this year, but decent enough. Then I think you can say, okay, he's got the program more or less exactly how he wants it, where he can bring in eight new guys and not really miss too much of a beat. So. We'll see, but it's a it's a pretty good situation when, with the way high school recruiting has gone this cycle, um, with some of their bigger targets, uh, to have a fallback plan that includes getting, you know, already more or less known three of the top international guys on the market is uh, yeah, it's a pretty good backup plan. Um, so, all right, well that's about it for me. You got anything else, Brandon? I do not have anything else, Dave, other than it's so great to hear your voice. And if anybody was listening, this episode was not brought to you by Under Armour because there was no click clacking going on in the background. Kind of a staple of Brandon Huff and me on any broadcast. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I can work some in there in the edit. All right. Uh, well, for Brandon Huffman, I'm David Woods. Bruno Port Online. We'll talk to you again next time.